The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. You guys can be seated. Good morning, LifePoint. Listen, today we're going to be going through the story of Joseph. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 37 of Genesis. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and we'll get you one. And you can take that home as our gift to you because it's always good and fun to have a Bible. That's what we think here at LifePoint. <laughs> Listen, this morning to get prepared, I watched the Disney movie uh, King of Dreams. You know the Joseph movie, King of Dreams? And so, yeah, I know, I got, it. I got the name wrong last service, but it's okay. Someone finally told me. Uh, King of Dreams. So if you want to watch it and fact check me, uh, Disney does a pretty great job. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's on Netflix, which isn't free if you don't have it. I apologize. But it's pretty good. So I'm pretty fired up this morning, feeling like a king of dreams. But two weeks ago, uh, we ended the greater series. And listen, it was great. I'm not just saying that because it was part of the name of the series. It was actually great. It was really good. And if you didn't have the opportunity to listen to it, it's online, and you need to go and spend some time. It's only four or five weeks, and uh, it was phenomenal. We, we looked at the life of Abraham and learned how to trust God with our first and our best. So our first and our best time, our first and our best talents, and our first and our best treasures. And if you aren't familiar with who Abraham is, you don't have to go back to the greater series to, uh, to learn about him, because this morning I'm going to tell you the only thing you need to know today about Abraham is that he had a son. And his son's name was Isaac, okay? Now, the only thing you really need to know about Isaac this morning is that he had two sons named Esau and Jacob. Now, you don't even know anything about Esau today because that's a whole nother message. But Jacob had 12 sons, okay? So let me recap this for you. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. You don't even know about Esau today. But Jacob had 12 sons, okay? And that brings us to chapter 37, in Genesis. Now, Joseph was the second youngest of the 12, just older than his brother Benjamin. But in verse 3 of chapter 37, it says that he was the most loved son by his father because he was the son of his father's old age. He was also the first son of his true love, Rebecca, who he uh, worked for 14 years for her dad to have her in marriage. So as most siblings would be, especially if you have 10 of them that are older than you, uh, they're probably pretty jealous that you're the most loved sibling. We got any younger siblings in the house? Who would say they're the most loved? All right, there we go. <laughs> so the older siblings are pretty jealous because it's not like, hey, I think I'm the most loved. Jacob, the father, pretty much put it on display that he was the most loved. And so his brothers were jealous. But they weren't just jealous. They were filled with hatred. So much so that they decided to take justice into their own hands. So pick up with me in verse 18 of chapter 37. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. So his, his brothers were so filled with hatred for Joseph that before they even knew he was coming to check in with him, they were plotting to, guilt, to kill him. See, Jacob, their father, sent Joseph... Um, to check on the brothers. Okay, he sent Joseph to check on the brothers uh, to make sure the boys were tending to the flock well. So Joseph gets there, and before he even gets there, the brothers don't even really know what's going on, but before he even gets there, the brothers are like, man, we hate that dude. Like, he's so young and so loved. That makes me so mad. Like, ah, 
the father loves him. I hate him. And so they start to plot on what they're going to do to hurt him. And I want to come right out of the gates this morning and point you in the right direction. Uh, I hope that that sounds familiar. And if it doesn't, let me tell you, because it sounds almost exactly like how the Pharisees hated Jesus for claiming he was the son of God. They hated him and they continually plotted to kill him. See, Joseph hasn't done anything. He's a 17-year-old son of Jacob that actually loves his brothers more than his brothers could ever hate him. And they decided the best thing to do was to kill him. But here's the deal. Their other brother, Reuben, decided, hey, you probably shouldn't murder him because you don't want his blood on your hands, so they throw him in a pit. While, they're in, while he's in the pit, they eat. And while they're eating, they discuss, we should get rid of him, but we can't kill him. What should we do? Well, let's sell him into slavery. So the Ishmaelites come by, and they sell him to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites take him to Egypt, and in Egypt, he gets sold again. Joseph hasn't done anything wrong, but they sell him, and then he gets sold again. He becomes a slave in Egypt because they didn't want their brother's blood on their hands. And hear me. I don't want you to get it, get it twisted this morning. Jesus was the truly innocent son of God that was hated for his claims of being equal to God. So the Pharisees plotted Jesus' death, okay? And Pilate, standing on that stage, decided, I don't want my hands to be filled with his blood, so on the holy day, I can bring out a prisoner from uh, the death row and release him. And so he brings Barabbas, the murderer and thief and leader of rebels, and Jesus out, and he says, who do you want? And the people are like, Barabbas. Kill Jesus, we want Barabbas. So Pilate has to let Barabbas go, and then gives Jesus over to the people to murder him and cleans his hands of Jesus. Joseph was spared death. Jesus was not. And he was not just abandoned by those he loved. He willingly gave his life up to be murdered by those he loved so that he could save those he loved when he returned from the grave. Joseph's life has been spared. But he is sold into the, uh, into the hands of the Ishmaelites and then taken to Egypt. And when he's in Egypt, a man named Potiphar, who is an officer of the Pharaoh, buys Joseph and brings him to his house. Now, at this point, Joseph's having a remarkably bad day, okay? It's pretty rough. It's only been like a chapter, and everything's gone downhill. He went to check up on the boys, thinking, hey, my brothers love me. He gets thrown into a pit. They have a meal without him, and then they sell him. Bad day. And then he gets sold again, and now he's a slave in Egypt, that's a pretty bad day. But despite all of these worst-case scenarios, despite everything that's going on, being sold by his brothers, sold again, being a slave, we see in chapter 39, verses 2 through 4, that the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Now, I know that every single one of you are coming here from a different background, different afflictions, different hardships, different circumstances, but I don't want you to miss this this morning. So listen, whatever you came, came in with, Hear me. God always has a plan that is a foundation to your affliction. So whatever you're going through, God has a plan to bring you out of it while simultaneously showing you his glory and blessing you. There's always a plan as the foundation of your affliction. 
His plan will show you his glory. It will gift you with stronger faith and a greater understanding of the great depths of his love with which he loves us. So listen, don't lose hope this morning. I know some of you are hurting and don't lose hope this morning because God has a purpose for your life. So Joseph remains steadfast despite his circumstances and God works through Joseph's uncircumstantial love for God to gain him favor in this Egyptian's household and make him an overseer of all his possessions. So Joseph is number two in this household. And I'm willing to bet that even though that was great, he's still confused and heartbroken at why his brothers could off him so easily. He's probably missing the love of his father that was so freely lavished on him. I imagine he's vulnerable like he's never been vulnerable before. But here we see that Joseph caught something from his father that shaped him as a man. And if you're a father in here, I really want you to take note because your kids will catch what you live. The only thing that is constant in our lives is how mightily, how endlessly, how selflessly, and how eternally our God's love is for us. Jacob lived a life. Jacob, Joseph's father, lived a life that was constantly chasing after God and his heart. And Joseph caught that. So in the midst of his afflictions and persecution, he was able to stand strong on the faithfulness of God. We see here that Joseph puts all his money on the table and says, God, I believe in your faithfulness. He says, I'll go where you send me. I just don't know where you want to send me. And so we get back to verse 2 again. Let me read it again. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him an overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Now, what is your hope in today? I want you to wrestle with that. Because the fact is that Jesus Christ died the death you deserve and then rose to life, conquering the grave on your behalf, and then ascended into heaven so that we could have the keys to the kingdom. That's good news this morning. Is your hope in that? Or is your hope in, in maybe a, a certain number in the bank account, maybe a certain size house, certain size family, a specific spouse or job? Because, listen, those aren't bad things. It's not bad things to want a good job or a, a higher income. It's not a bad thing to, to want more kids or a bigger family. But only one of those things is going to bring you eternal fulfillment, and that's Jesus Christ. And I hope you know that. So pick up with me at chapter 39, verse 6. At this point, Joseph has been serving God, and in the midst of all this turmoil, he's been finding divine provision. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. That's a good line. Okay, hopefully, like, someone, you know, like my wife would say that Dustin was handsome in form and appearance. Like John Lewis. Okay, John Lewis is handsome in form and appearance, and Eric Darst. What, what, it, what it's saying is they're like, there's some good-looking guys, and they're easy on the eyes. Okay, so, like... You want advice from them, and they're approachable. That's, that's good news. Gina, Stephanie, kudos. <laughs> and there was a time his master's wife, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Uh, so some context here. The boss's wife wants Joseph, okay? But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in this house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. 
How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Listen, he could have done it. Like it's, it's not like he couldn't have. Like God, God was so strong there that he just like he didn't have the option anymore. He could have, and Potiphar never would have known. He could have given in to the temptations and, and went on with his day, but Joseph found more value in obeying God than he did in giving in to the desires of the world. Church, hear me. There's something greater out there for you than giving in to your temptations. God has something greater for you than your affairs, than the drugs, than the computer screens, the alcoholism, the sex and passivity and laziness. God wants to show you the endless pleasures of his presence and his blessings. But hear me, it all starts with Jesus this morning. It starts with laying your desires and your passions down at his feet and trusting that his death and resurrection was for you. Not just for a people, but for you. There's something greater in store for you. Jesus died and rose from the grave to give eternal life. So why would we get caught up in the temporary things of this world when we have something eternal in sight that he's freely given us? It's because he valued God and his faithfulness over the temporary pleasures of the world that we can read verse 10 that says, day after day, this woman came to him and he said no and, and get something out of it. Because it's not by his strength that he said no day after day after day. It's by the strength of the Lord. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it was easy, because I can assure you it probably wasn't. I mean, he's an officer of the Pharaoh. So his wife was probably pretty gorgeous. Not as gorgeous as my wife, okay? But he was probably pretty gorgeous. Or she, he was probably pretty gorgeous as well. But she was probably gorgeous. And he knew her probably emotionally because he had spent time being over the house. He got to know her. He got to know the servants in the house. And so it probably wasn't easy. He probably had to pray a lot. He probably had to contemplate through a lot. Listen, me and my wife saved our first kiss till marriage, okay? And while we were dating, uh, we were get, I was getting ready to take her home. I lived in St. Charles with a couple guys. And uh, we were sitting on the porch, and you know, like the eye contact? You know what I'm talking about? Like it's about to happen? Made the eye contact, and Taylor sprinted across the street. She ran. <laughs> And then, you know, we kissed on our wedding day, which was great. But if she wouldn't have ran, I don't know if we would have made it. But she valued her obedience to God so much more than she valued giving in to her temptations. And therefore, we got to celebrate on our wedding day and worship our first kiss, which is great. I can imagine he was enticed visually and emotionally. But the fact remained that at the end of the day, he valued God more than serving himself. So when temptation came, he didn't turn to himself, he turned to God. I hope, I hope you hear that today. We get so caught up in white-knuckling our way out of our temptations that we give in to the temptations. You know what I'm talking about? Instead of, at the beginning, saying, okay, God, I need your strength, which is the only strength strong enough to defeat temptation to get me out of this. Amen. Now, as inspiring as that is, Joseph's story doesn't go too well from here. See, she, she grabs a piece of his garment, and she goes to her husband and says, look, that man came in here and tried to have his way with me and with the other female servants of your house. And it says in verse 19, when Potiphar found this out, his anger was kindled. That's, big, that's bad. And an officer of the Pharaoh's anger is kindled. That's no bueno. And then in verse 20, it says that Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoner was confined. And he was there in prison. 
Remember, Joseph is still as innocent as his brothers. He's been relentlessly obedient to God, but since he isn't giving in to the demands of this woman, he is now unjustly put in prison. And we'll get there, but the very man that they unjustly put in prison will soon rise to power in Egypt and not only save that household, but the rest of the country from death due to famine. In Luke 6, the Pharisees ask Jesus why he's performing miracles on the Sabbath day, because on the Sabbath day you're not supposed to work. And so they say, hey, it's the Sabbath day, why are you doing that? And Jesus says, well, I'm actually Lord of the Sabbath, and what I do on the Sabbath day builds up my eternal kingdom and not your kingdom. And they're like, I don't know about that. Right? They get, they, you know, a little offended. If someone said that to you, you'd be like, whoa, I wasn't saying that, but you were. And that was the problem. And so they get mad, and they start to plot to kill him because Jesus wouldn't do what they wanted. But the Pharisees didn't know this yet. But the one that they would plot to kill and inevitably murder in cold blood would three days later rise up, not just to save the Pharisees, but to save the entire world from death as a result of sin. Jesus is the greater Joseph. God has a plan that is the foundation of your affliction. Don't miss that today. So Joseph is now in prison, and once again, we are reminded in verse 21 of that same chapter that God is with Joseph. And the guard of the prison gives Joseph the authority over all of the prisoners. It says that he trusted Joseph so greatly that he just left him there, like never checked up on him. Like Joseph could have had a, a throwdown party with pizza, okay? And the officer probably would have been like, yeah, I'll buy that. Like, That's cool, as long as it's from Little Caesars. And the keeper of the prison just trusts him. Does Joseph, do whatever you want. And as he's watching the prisoners, the cupbearer of the king and the baker of the king get sent into prison. Because, you know, Pharaoh has a bad day and he just throws people in prison. That's what happens. And while they're there, they have these two distinct dreams. And Joseph, walking by, sees that they're in distress and says, hey, what's wrong? And they say, well, we had these dreams. Can you interpret them? And Joseph replies, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams and I'll interpret them for you. Which is a pretty intense statement. I'd be like, are you sure? Because I don't know if I want it now. So Joseph interprets the dreams and tells the baker that he's going to be put to death and tells the cupbearer that he's going to be brought back into his position. And then he tells the cupbearer, when that happens, remember me. And so the next day, both of those things happen. The baker's put to death, cupbearer's restored to his position, and guess what doesn't happen? The cupbearer doesn't remember Joseph for two years. Now, here's the deal. In King of Dreams, it's like a side-by-side -side scene. Joseph is thrown into prison with no facial hair, and then the next scene, he has all of his facial hair because it's been two years. Okay, two long years, he hasn't been remembered. And then the Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has two dreams. And he's asking all the kingdom who can come and interpret them. And after all these failures, the cupbearer is like, oh, yeah. There was this guy in prison that interpreted my dream. And Pharaoh's like, go get him. So Joseph comes, and Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he says, you're going to have seven years of plentiful, of all the livestock, of all the crops. It's going to be abundant seven years. And then you're going to have seven years of the worst famine your country, your nation will ever face. And so during the seven years of good, I want you to take one-fifth of what you've got and store it up so that when the famine comes, you can sell it to your people and they can live abundantly. Pharaoh's like, that sounds pretty good. Who am I going to put in charge of that? And it, it kind of makes it seem like the Pharaoh's hinting at it and Joseph never says anything. So finally, he's like, okay, you. I want you to be in charge of it. And so Joseph goes from being in prison to the same day being number two only to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh puts him in charge of all of Egypt. 
over all of the nation, over gathering the crops and the supplies during the seven years, and then puts him in charge of distributing those same crops in the next seven years in the famine. God has a plan that is the foundation of your affliction. Listen, I don't know what you came in with today, but my week wasn't easy. But this text was so good for me because it, it brought into light that it, I could be in prison for two years, no one remembering me to any degree, and God's plan is still greater than what I'm feeling there. We are finally getting to the part where Joseph is going to begin reaping from being fully devoted to God. So during those seven years, it says that Joseph was able to store up so much grain that it was like the, the, uh, the sand of the sea. Like, that's, a, that's a lot of grain. If someone was like, hey, how much sand is in the sea? You'd be like, that's a great question. I don't think anyone knows that. It, it would be useless. You, you'd maybe try, and you'd grab a handful, and you'd be like, well, there's probably 200 million handfuls, and if I had this in my handful, and then you'd be like, you're kidding, I quit, and you'd quit. And Joseph was like, I'm done. I'm not even going to, he said he started to keep track, and it got to a point where he was like, we just got too much. And so he, he gives up keeping track. They had that much put away. Listen, when we're obedient to God despite our affliction, he takes what we have to offer and he multiplies it in ways that we could never expect. In John chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding in Cana, okay? And at the wedding, they run out of wine, which is a pretty big deal, apparently, because everyone's freaking out. They're like, oh, man, we don't have any more wine. And Jesus is like, listen, he calls out to these guys and he says, okay, go fill those uh, jars up with water and bring them to me. So these guys go get these 20, 30 gallon size concrete jars of water, fill them with water, and then bring them to Jesus. How they did that's beyond me. But they bring them to Jesus. Okay, and after all that work, Jesus says, Now take a cup of that water and go give it to the master of the servant. And I imagine they were like, Really? A cup of this? Now you made me drag this all the way over here, and now I'm giving the master a cup. What, I'll go do it. So they go and they take the cup of water to the master. When he drinks it, behold, it's wine. But it's not just wine. It's fantastic wine. So good, the master, the master starts freaking out. He's like, this is it. Listen, these guys didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. But when he asked them to grab something that was within reach and they did it, he made something magnificent out of it. When God calls you to do something, it's never out of reach. Whether you're, whether you're being called to go to Mexico. Okay, we're going to Mexico soon. We got, what, 20-something missionaries going to Mexico? That's insane. Whether he calls you to get married, share the gospel with the guy behind the counter at Starbucks, or devote yourself to your family, he's in control and has a plan to multiply what you sacrifice in ways you can never imagine. It's never too big, and it's always within reach. Joseph can't even imagine keeping track of how much he's been able to store because it's all in God's hands. So when the famine came, and it did, and it was terrible. They had more than enough to live plentiful in the land of Egypt. But it was so bad that Joseph's family back home was affected by the famine. So what did they have to do? They had to go to Egypt and buy supplies from the distributor. Who was the distributor? It was Joseph, their brother, who they sold into slavery. Talk about a plot twist. So they have to go to Egypt and buy grain from their brother. And when they get there, Joseph recognizes the ten brothers that show up. And not a single one of them recognized Joseph. Can you imagine the heartbreak, knowing that your 10 brothers are there and they're just talking to you like you're the guy that's going to supply their needs. And that's it. It says so many times through the last four chapters of, of Genesis that Joseph can't control himself and he goes away and he weeps. It says at one point he weeps so loud that all of the people outside hear him. I can't recognize it. That would, that would, it would hurt. No one here would take it lightly and neither does Joseph. He's still a man. He's not Jesus. 
And so when he sees 10 of his 11 brothers, he devises a plan to get all 11 brothers there. He carries out that plan, and they're all there. And when they're all there, it says in chapter 45 that he becomes so overwhelmed by their presence that he just reveals himself to them. And so in chapter 45, verses 4 through 8, I want to read this to you. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here. What are those last two words? But God. The first thing he tells his brothers is that he forgives them. The first thing, after, after so many years, 13 years being gone, the first thing he says to them is, listen, it's okay. He saw God's love for him as so great that what his brothers did to him was but a shadow. Hear me. God's love is so deep and it's so rich it has the power to make all of your afflictions seem worthless. God's love empowers us to forgive others and our enemies because he forgave us when we were his enemy. God's love empowers us to love our enemies because he loved us while we were his enemy. Joseph understood that God's love for him was so great that he trusted in the plan that was the foundation of his affliction. And when he trusted in that plan, all the bitterness and the rage and the hurt, it was all washed away by the love of God. In chapter 50, 19 through 21, Joseph says this to his brothers. I'll read it to you. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Listen, God's plan holds more power than anything said against you. There is nothing you will encounter that has, has more might than the Lord. And there's nothing you will encounter that has more fight for you than the Lord has for you. This is the same exchange which Joseph tells them to go get his father and everything they own and bring it to Egypt so that they could live there. And in Egypt, during the next 400 years, was when the nation of Israel was established. Listen, if God would have prevented Joseph's brothers from selling him, he never would have been put in a position to gain the Pharaoh of the favor and provide a new home for his family. If God would have prevented Joseph from being wrongfully accused, he never would have been put in the position to gain the Pharaoh's favor and provide a new home for his family. If God would have prevented Joseph from being thrown into prison, he never would have been put in the position to gain the Pharaoh of the favor, favor of the Pharaoh and bring his family into a new home. If God would have prevented Joseph from being afflicted, then Israel would have had a hard time being established as a nation because they would have had to make it through the famine on their own. Don't miss this this morning. Jesus is the greater Joseph. Joseph was outcast and sold by his brothers. Jesus was given over, sentenced to death, and murdered by those he called his family. 
Joseph was wrongfully accused and unjustly put in prison because he remained faithful to God. Jesus was unjustly sentenced to death for being perfectly obedient to the will of the Father. Joseph was risen on high in Egypt under the provision of God in order to save his family and his people from death and destruction due to famine. Jesus was lifted high on the cross in obedience to God the Father to save the whole world from death and destruction due to sin. Joseph forgave his family and welcomed them into his kingdom to live freely and abundantly. Jesus eternally forgave all of mankind of their sin when he rose from the grave and offers us the keys to the kingdom to live freely and abundantly in his presence. God's covenant with Abraham to make his descendants into a nation was fulfilled because Joseph endured in obedience to God all of his affliction. God's covenant with Abraham that the whole world would be saved through him was fulfilled because Jesus, who was a descendant of Abraham, endured with perfect obedience to God all of the affliction set before him. Listen, your affliction has a purpose. Don't miss it this morning. Are you beat down? What are you, like, what are you going through? Is your marriage against the ropes? Are, you, are your kids starting to separate from you? Like, are you starting to lose your job? What is it? I don't know what it is, but it's got a purpose. God has a plan for your life, and it's actually the foundation of your affliction. If Joseph would have seen where his afflictions were taking him, he would have been all the more obedient How would we be if we could see where our afflictions were taking us? If we could see the end of the story, where we would be through perseverance. Do you trust that God truly has a plan for you? Do you trust that your affliction has a purpose? Here's how you know if you trust that plan. Look at your life. Are you constantly fighting with your spouse rather than praying for them and leading them? Are you short-tempered and having a hard time holding your tongue with people? Are you having trouble just committing to anything? Are you more painful and angry and bitter and hateful and prideful in response to situations than you are joy-filled and hope-filled? Listen, if you fit into any of these categories, which I do, it's probably because you're having a hard time seeing the big picture. We get consumed in ourselves when we get caught up trying to take on life by ourselves. We get consumed in ourselves when we start to white-knuckle our way through our temptation, and we end up giving in. Rather than trusting that Jesus has already conquered death and the grave through his death and resurrection in our place. That's the good news that we can cling on to that brings us eternal strength that frees us from temptation. Jesus has already set you free, and right here, right now, I'm offering you the opportunity to take hold of this gracious gift that we've been given. He will never let you down, and he will never lead you astray. God will always keep you on his path because his plan is the foundation of everything you're doing. He wants to show you his glory. He wants to bring you into a place where you have stronger faith and where you have a deeper understanding of how richly he loves you. We can live a greater life than Joseph, knowing that what the world plans for evil, God plans for good, because Jesus sacrificed his perfect life for us. Will you receive that this morning? It's it's never too late. Whether you don't know Jesus here today, or you think you do, or you do, and you're in a season where you're, you're just not close. Listen, this morning, this morning can be a wake up. This morning can be a great morning, not just because it's beautiful outside, 
not just because you're worshiping with your friends and your family, but because Jesus took your place on the cross. Will you receive that this morning? Let's pray. Lord, I, Lord, God, we just want more of you. We want to know that that you are the risen Savior. We want to know that you love us more than we could ever love you. God, we, we want to hear you today. And so, God, would you remind us that no matter what we're going through, you are the foundation of it all, that you are the one that brings us strength and, and leads us away from temptation, Lord. You are the one that frees us from the bondage of sin. You are the one that gives us eternal life in your resurrection. And it is real. It's not just a myth that we all gather around, God, but I pray that you would, you would strengthen our hearts to truly know it's real for me. Lord, would you be with us with, with, your, with your head bowed? Listen, if there's, if there's anyone in here that today you just, you just need to, to recommit and say, I'm, I'm tired of, of rolling over every time I'm afflicted. I'm, I'm tired of taking my life into my own hands. I need a God that is greater. Would you just lift your hand up? If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? I see that. Now, maybe you don't know Jesus. And to, maybe, maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day that, that you're tired of the brokenness and that, that you're tired of the long nights and, and the, the, the wasted evenings and you, and you just want to be comforted. Listen, Jesus is the God of comfort. He's here. And he's offering you salvation freely today. He, he wants you. And so if that's you and, and, and you just want to dedicate your life to the Lord, would you lift your hand up? God, we, we love you. We love you. This is good news. This is good news. In Jesus' name. On the night before.